This is the Forbes Interview, Season 2. I'm your host, Stephen Bertoni. This show is for anyone with an entrepreneurial passion, looking for inspiration from established and -and up-and-coming business pioneers. In a minute, you're going to hear from Jen Rubio, the co-founder of the billion-dollar luggage brand, Away. Rubio is going to share how she used marketing, social media, and attitude to make a boring product like a suitcase into a cool, hip lifestyle brand. But first, this podcast is brought to you by MailChimp. MailChimp's all-in-one marketing platform allows you to manage more of your marketing activities from one place so you can market smarter and grow faster. Jen, you guys are on the cover of Forbes, the under 30 issue. And ever since that story came out, I see your away bags, suitcases everywhere. People on the subway, on the way to the airport, obviously the airport cramming them into overheads. It's incredible. They're everywhere. Just what? ever since the story came out? No, I think it was because ever I mean, I've always known the company, but once you start looking at the bags and they start popping up, it was, becomes top of mind and you kind of notice it everywhere. Yeah, so I think it's a little bit of that magic that actually got us to, to where we are today. It's that sense of whatever we did at launch and, and whatever we continue to do after, that sense of someone saw it once and it just really stuck in their heads. And that's something that's so hard to define and so hard to talk about, but something that we like try to keep up in everything that we do. What is happening with Away? What's the, what's the new and latest and greatest? What's the latest and greatest? Well, um, from like a team standpoint, our, uh, well, we, we launched less than three years ago. Yeah. So it'll be three years in a, in a few weeks. And uh, we just moved into what's hopefully our long-term headquarters, um, a huge space in Soho uh, that'll fit, you know, maybe four or 500 people over the next few years. Um, so that's that's really exciting, but we feel like um, we're in a really good place and we've assembled a team that can take this brand to the next level. So I think the three years have been awesome. Mm-hmm. The last three years have been awesome, but there's so much more that, that we wanna do and we feel like we have the team in place to do it. So you said you have room for 500 people. How many do you have right now? Uh, 250. Gotcha. And what is next level? I mean, for everyone listening, Away is that these really cool, strong roller bags. And is next level more roller bags? Is it other products? Is it a whole lifestyle? Is it an airline? <laughs> what are we thinking here? Well, it's all of the above. And I think the, um, the crazy part is that we could conceivably go into any of those areas right now, which which is pretty crazy to say for a three-year-old company, mm-hmm. but we're we're in this uh, place where we're really trying to focus and and prioritize. Um, if you think back to stuff we've done over the last few years, in our first or second year of business, we opened a pop-up hotel in mm-hmm. Paris, hugely successful, made us realize wow. that there was an appetite for us to go into hospitality, even though we were a brand that literally just sold luggage, um, and that was exciting for us. How did you so, do that? Well, I mean, I think it was to take a step back, like yeah. our, our whole mission is to make travel more seamless and more enjoyable. And we do that because we want to encourage people to travel more and have experiences and cross boundaries. And we were thinking about, um, if I'm going to be honest, it started out as, hey, what's something cool that we can do mm-hmm. during Paris Fashion Week? And we were brainstorming. And as it always goes, instead of actually coming up with ideas for cool events or activations, we were like, we started complaining. And we're like, you know what really sucks during fashion week? Like hotels don't have this and like the vibe is off and and, and made a list of complaints. And we were like, hey, maybe we can be the ones that can solve this. Um, So we did a pop-up hotel specifically geared towards people who were in town for that event. And it was just wildly successful. It sold out um, 
immediately. It turned out a lot of the people that were staying there mm. were for celebrities who like wanted that vibe. And it really gave us a sense that we had a real community around the brand. So it's that exact sense that makes us confident that we could go into anything travel related That's and wild. people trust us for that. How did you start the hotel? Was it like, did you kind of like white label an existing hotel or did you find a building and add services? What was the deal? Yeah, we white labeled an existing hotel okay. that from a design standpoint was like really on point. Um, but we staffed it, we programmed it, we um, really just took over the space. And you said it came out of complaining. Yeah, what, what compl- which is how this whole company started. It's amazing. I love that. It's very New York. What, what <laughs> complaints did the Away Hotel solve that a normal hotel would not solve? The Away Hotel solved the fact that that very specific audience um, had a lot of needs. So they're running from from show to show. It's fashion week. There's outfit changes. Um, you know, things that may seem silly, like is there someone on hand to document that outfit because you're working with media and partners to mm-hmm. make sure you have that sort of content? Like, what's the vibe like after you're getting back from the show? So like super specific pain points that really only applied to this set of people for those few days. Mm-hmm. But I think it's in that it's in that level of detail that that made it so magical for people. And I think when we think about everything else we're doing, whether it's our um, our media publication, so we have Here magazine, which is online and offline, mm-hmm. or if it's um, if it comes you know back to basics, the luggage that we're making, who are we making this for and what do they actually need? And and how do we drill down to that level of detail to make it feel like it was made specifically for you? Very cool. And I'm going to go back to kind of the a company built by built on complaints. So correct me if I'm wrong, kind of the origin story is you were running through the uh, the airport with an old battered suitcase and it fell apart and your stuff was everywhere or you just didn't like the suitcase. And you you, know, like, you thought like, why can't this be a better, why, we need a better product. And I think everyone has thought about that, about every so many products, but very few people you decide to actually do something about it what's like the first step of saying like i'm not happy with this product like i'm gonna start a new product especially a product like suitcases which you feel like they're they've been dominated by these like giant international like titans for so long yeah what's like the what's the first step and what were you doing at the time and what was your i know you've had many jobs including you're part of the warby mafia as well but when you had this idea what were you doing and what did you leave so I was actually um, in this magical little realm of unemployment at the time, uh, which was great because if I think about it, would I have started this if it meant quitting a job? I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm that kind of person. Um, you know, it's easy to say now that I would have, but I had just left um, my job at All Saints. I was living in London. I was traveling a lot, just trying to figure out what my next step was. I figured I had to go back to New York because I didn't have a visa. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's kind of like, I was in a, I, I think that contributed to it. I was in a very open mindset. It wasn't just like, oh, this thing happened to me and I'm complaining, which by the way, I do a lot. And my, <laughs> my resolution is to do less of that. But it you was- be, You'll be a serial entrepreneur if you keep on doing this. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was more of the fact that I complained <clears throat> about it and I really- I kept complaining and I kept thinking about it. And I think it was because I had so much mental space to keep thinking about this thing and what was wrong with it. And why didn't anyone have a luggage brand that they could recommend to me? Or why did all these people who traveled all the time and carried this bag with them on every single trip not even know what brand it was? Like I was thinking about it a lot from the brand sense of there's something here that doesn't exist. and, And I 
think I have an idea for for how to make it exist. And it wasn't until I reconnected with my co-founder, Steph, who's our CEO and yes. your cover star. And um, I, was, I was telling her about this idea for this brand and she was the one who was like, you know what, this industry is ripe for disruption from like a direct-to-consumer standpoint. So I hadn't even gone down that road of taking everything we learned at Warby and, and applying it to this. It was more about like, what's what's the brand that we can build? And yeah. stuff was like, what's the business model that we can apply here? And I think it was the marriage of those two things that made us both really excited about making this happen. It's interesting because it, it kind of reminds me a lot of, of of Casper, obviously the mattress company. I mean, you think of like, you know, gun to my head. I couldn't tell you right now what kind of mattress I sleep on. Same with luggage. And also, um, you know, it's something you people tend to buy once every 10, 20 years kind of thing. But you guys prove that these kind of purchases can be done um, online. And obviously with the suitcases, I think people are traveling more and more, flying more and more, and it kind of becomes, it's a, it's a tool, but also it's a style kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, we're really proud of, of having had a hand in changing that behavior because I think all the things that I recognize that we're missing, that brand loyalty, that recognition, that sense of pride in, in what you're carrying, that really was was rare in mm-hmm. with luggage. And um, and I think the more that away has grown and the more people have like formed this emotional connection with not just the luggage, but with the whole brand, it's given people a sense of pride. It's been... Um, a way to express your style. It's been a symbol for the things we stand for, which are like better travel and more Mm -hmm. exploration. It's become a symbol of all of these things. And what that's done is changed behavior in a way that we never could have expected. You know, all of our investors in the beginning were like, yeah, that's great, but people are gonna buy one suitcase every 10 years. So what are you you gonna do about that? How are you gonna um, keep sales growing? And because of that, because of that feedback, we built the business in a way where if somebody only ever bought one suitcase from away, we'd be fine as a business. Like we'd be financially fine with that. And, and we did it in a way where we were profitable on, on the first purchase always because of that specific feedback. Mm-hmm. But what we've seen over time is that because of the way we've done it and because of the things that we're launching, people are buying more than one suitcase of, of the same size even. Huh. And I don't know where they're keeping it, but certainly not in New York apartments. Yes. But um, but people really see it as um, a symbol of self-expression. So we're we're proud to have changed the narrative around that. When did you guys decide to start this company? And what do you did you do a deep dive on, like how suitcases are made? Did you kind of do a wish list of what you want your suitcase to do? Um, like I love this idea of especially when you're making physical, complicated things. Going from hey, we should have a better suitcase to you know what? Let's build it. Take me through that. Yeah, that that was really fun, and I um, even if I think about the meetings I've had today, it's like the the product meetings are so great because it's all of the stuff that Steph and I did in the beginning of the business when it was just us, and now there's like whole teams thinking about this every day. But um, again, I think this comes with the luxury of Steph being in business school and me uh, being unemployed at the time. But we had a lot of space to explore, so we we simultaneously did a lot of research, but also moved really quickly. Mm-hmm in the steps without even planning to. So we did things like um, we went to a luggage trade show in Las Vegas. Ooh, how was that? It was horrendous. <laughs> you know, I, I hate conferences in general, but we were the youngest people there by like 40 years. Um, and we actually pretended we were, um, we were like buyers for, 
for a luggage e-commerce startup. Um, so that so it was interesting to see kind of what was out there, like what the industry was like. We spent a lot of time in just like crappy luggage stores all over New York mm. and um, and all over the place. And we spent a lot of time in department stores and we spent a lot of time talking to people um, about their luggage. And I think what you get out of that, like the natural next step is, okay, we're gonna make the perfect luggage. Here's a list of all the features and you have dozens and dozens of features. And um, you're like very idealistic, but you don't actually know what people will pay for. Yeah. So what we ended up, we were like, we approached it in like a very business school sense. Steph was, was at, still at Columbia then. And she was like, let's, um, let's do a survey. So we did surveys and focus groups and we asked people what they wanted in luggage. And of course, if you give them a list of features and tell them to check off a box, they'll check off all of them. Yeah. And then if you ask them what they'll actually pay for, it's like none of them. So, so was there one thing that stood out that surprised you? Nothing surprised me. I think what, what, what was interesting was the next step that we did, which was we're like, okay, this survey is completely worthless. Let's actually talk to people about how they pack and how they travel and how they use the bag. Let's observe people in airports and, and really look at it not from a what do you want standpoint, but, but a behavioral standpoint. So it was a ton of observing and we realized things like um, our friends were coming back from their trips and they always had like the, the plastic bag from the hotel closet, oh, yeah. or they would like steal hotel laundry bags. So we built a, we built a laundry bag into our suitcase. Or, um, you know, things that would seemingly be contradictive, like I want it to be like super durable and kind of like heavyweight, but I want to make the lightest bag ever. <laughs> so like, how do you do that? So we did a ton of materials research. So just figuring out what are the things that are really important to the people um, mm -hmm. that would be traveling with this and, and creating a product around that. And luckily, since Steph's background was in supply chain and product development, um, this step that I think comes hardest to most people, which is finding the factories, um, working with suppliers, we were able to do pretty seamlessly. And so you found your supplier in China, correct? Mm -hmm. And tell me about the first, the first order and the first sale. Like I imagine you have... Did you have a warehouse or a garage full of full of these, or were they kind of drop shipped? And how did you first get the word out? What was the first you know kind of sales pitch? Yeah, our first sale we had zero suitcases, so we had this this grand plan of um, of launching in a bunch of gift guides, and we lined up some press. Um, you know, from the beginning, we knew press would be a big part of our story, so we lined up all this like pre-holiday press. We knew this was like a crucial time to launch and. You know, we're not trying to launch like a, a retail company in, in January after after yes. the holidays. So no plan ever goes as you want it to. So I think in like September, we realized that the bags wouldn't be ready. So we were like, <laughs> okay, uh, what are we going to do? And, and we came up with this crazy idea to, we didn't want to do a Kickstarter. Like we knew we wanted to like do something very brand led. Yeah. So we, knew to, we didn't do a Kickstarter. We didn't want to do pre-orders because... Like, what's more boring than paying for something that, like, you don't know if you're going to get? So we decided to write a travel book and write and self-publish one. We're like, that's got to be easier, right? So so we did it. We got all of our, all of our like, more influential friends okay. to be part of this book and talk about their travel stories. And, um, and we made a couple thousand of these books. And the books came, the books were the price of the suitcase, and they came with a gift card for the bag. That would later launch. So it was this gotcha. whole convoluted so people, do, do idea. People knew, do people know they're buying books? They thought they were buying suitcases and they got a book instead. No, <laughs> I mean we would not be in business if people thought they were they were buying a suitcase. Yes. No, it was about it was about like get this book and then you'll have like 
you'll you'll be the first people to get the suitcase using this gift card. What I was mean, the, it was, was it was logistically a nightmare. What was the book nightmare. about? It's called The Places We Return To. I recently saw one on eBay going for a lot of money. Nice, nice. Um, so, so that says something. But it and was... What did, um, what did it cover? It was tra- world travel? It was just New York? What was the... It was about um, 40... New Yorkers who um, who talked about like what is the place in the world that you return to so some of them were like totally off the beaten path but it was just it kind of established our um, our belief that people form relationships with places and it was like literally a book all about that okay um, yeah. and and people loved it and I think I think you know obviously people were excited about the luggage there were articles about that people you know were excited to read uh the description look at the renderings of the luggage because we didn't have photos yet gotcha. but more than anything people were like what oh this is like a travel brand that thinks about travel and talks about travel the way that we do so they were just excited to see what we were going to come up with you guys make stuff hard for you. You start a hotel, you start, you write a book before you put your product out. It's pretty, it's creative. It's wild. This whole thing is a sham for like crazy ideas that yeah. we have. <laughs> no, so, but and, I think. And the, and the books work. They took off. Yeah. So okay. basically we were like, this is either going to be amazing or we're going to just live in a, in an apartment full of these books for the rest of our lives. And, um, within, within a couple of weeks they sold out. That's why it's easy for me now to talk about. We're like, oh yeah, we wrote a book, and that's how that's yeah. how we launched our suitcase company. But it, I think it was actually that that gave us the conviction that if we keep pursuing things with this storytelling angle and and really just sticking to our narrative and and launching things in creative ways, then we can make this a success in a way that's different from what Samsonite might consider a success or just another like very product based brand. I think for me, building the business has been like a huge learning experience and really exciting. But if anything, it's like the more successful we get, the more of a creative platform we have. What were the biggest mistakes you guys made and what kind of the, what were the darkest days with the way? I think, you know, in the beginning, it was like champagne problems, right? Like too many customers, like we couldn't keep the the suitcases in stock. And then there's always that like the first time you have to let someone go yeah. from from your like very small team um and and there were like a, lo- a lot of things like that but i think what i realized is that you just it, it's kind of like a video game like you just keep solving problems and like getting coins and, and leveling up and and it gets harder but you keep doing it and i think that everyone in the company has learned that like we're always super solutions oriented like we've never not done something because we thought it would fail we've done a lot of really hard things in a very like methodical and tactical way like building this company has taught me to take the emotion out of like the actual decision making Mm -hmm. but then if it involves people then obviously to to bring the emotion back in and like executing your decision and that is not something I knew how to do before this. Yeah, as I was say that you worked at Stars before, but what what was the biggest surprise and kind of the biggest lesson you've learned as a, a co-founder and kind of at the at the reins? What what was the biggest shock? It is um <laughs> I when I was at Warby Parker, I worked for Neil Blumenthal, mm-hmm. who's who's one of the co-founders there. And every time I see him and I just saw him a few nights ago, I want to apologize and I was like I don't know, I get this overwhelming urge to be like, I'm sorry, I was such an ass. Because I think <laughs> I think when you're, um, and listen, I love our team, yeah. but there's just like a different sense of, um, you know, when I was an employee, I just thought I knew everything 
or I thought I was entitled to all of the context and all of the information. And it's not until you start the company and you actually have all the context and information and you realize that every every piece of information that you share like it, like results in like a million different decisions and consequences. Uh-huh. It's not until you know that and it's not until you start a company that like you, you realize how hard that is and like that it's like all a giant like puzzle to solve and um what's the one thing you regret the most as an employee that you did one thing we really believe in it away is like the concept of of like servant leadership we exist to give context and information and drive direction and not to tell people what to do and that was something i didn't fully understand until like it was my company you know so so that's something that really that Steph really instilled in me and that's something that we really believe in now and i think as a as a younger employee who was leading teams for the first time i regret not managing my teams in that way explain a little more how's it different between like just giving orders so to speak versus what you do now it's that whole concept of empowering people allowing them to make decisions allowing them to change things and i think that it comes very naturally to us because the company's changing so much and we've grown so much in the last three years and mm-hmm. we're continuing to change every single day. But even in, um, in companies that may be growing more slowly or that um, you know, maybe are, are more structured and things haven't changed in a while, like that concept of really empowering um, the team under you to, to make decisions because you trust them um, and then just being there to, to give them context and guidance when mm-hmm. they need it is something that's that's hard for a lot of people to get used to. So it's more like telling people what needs to get done opposed to telling them how to do it. Yeah, what, I mean, what the, what the goal is, and then they can figure it out themselves if you if you're confident in their work. Exactly, and and I think the way that Steph and I approach leading the team now is like our entire job is to constantly be educating people about the vision and the strategy and not how to do it because that's that's on them to figure out. But giving them the context that this is what we want to do, this is where we want to take the company, and these are the things that are important to us, and and from there, letting everybody do their job. Speaking of you and Steph, how do you and Steph uh, work together? I mean, you're, you're, you're friends, you're co-founders. Um, how, like, how do you decide what's um, a Steph job, what's a Jen job? Like, how do you guys kind of divide the empire? The, the easiest thing about our relationship is like the tactical stuff that we do. Um, the amazing thing about us is like our skill sets are totally different and we each think that the other person has the worst job. Okay. So, <laughs> so, um, so Steph is, um, which one is left brain and right brain? I can't always, you know, I'm always just thinking about like how people are experiencing the brand, like what, what the customer is getting from away, like thinking about like the... Um, like more of the creative things. That's the right brain. That's the right brain. Okay, thanks. It's like I don't even know. But I, I yeah. just like w- one of us is one, and and the other is. That's a very the right other. Brain, that's a very right brain thing to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so and um, and Steph is just very like she thinks about structures and frameworks and how do we do things in a way that um, is very process oriented so that we can scale it. And I think what's um, and I, I think about that. And I'm like, oh God. And listen. Could I think about that? Yes, and I think a lot of that has made its way into my thinking. But the fact that we really see each other as true partners and that this is like our business that we built together means that because I know she's thinking about that, I'm free to be good at what I'm good at. And because she knows I'm thinking about my side of the business, that that she's free to like really focus on the things that she's good at. And mm-hmm. I think that's like, it's not like, 
two halves make one, it's made us like orders of magnitude better at, at what we do. Wow. Do you um do you fly a lot? Yeah, I'm trying to cut back, man. <laughs> what happens when you see your kind of your creations in the wild? Do you want to do you t- do you approach customers? So probably the creepiest thing I do, um, and my team has asked me to stop, is that we have um when you get the suitcase uh, in the store or, or in the mail, there's a a battery or there's a sticker that mm-hmm. shows you how to pop out the battery or how to um, change your lock combination gotcha and you're supposed to peel them off you know it's like the tags on your clothes yes and some people don't and um i don't i just found myself doing this the other day i was like i was in line to board behind someone and they had the sticker on their thing and i just i just couldn't help it i just reached over and started peeling it off and i was like what are you what are you doing like think about it, like a total stranger just like creepily like touching your bag yes. and i was like oh my god i didn't even realize i was doing that <laughs> it was just like instinct like you know I'll walk around the office and i'll be like oh sticker pop that off yeah um so i had to apologize and then like we had a good laugh did you explain that you are the, the co-founder yeah yeah so um so i mean i had to explain it to get myself out of that one yes. um the the funny thing is um, I used to come up and talk to people a lot, but now I just do a lot more, a lot more observing. But actually seeing people use our bags, I see a lot of, um, you know, I'd be in the airport and, or at the baggage claim and I would see people mixing up their away bags. And that's what really um, kicked off the fact that we're now making personalization a focus. Very cool. Or coming up with new colors and new items. So so I think a lot Is of- it like custom wraps? I can put like- Like my face on feet. it. <laughs> I want to go back to you meant Warby Parker because it's an incredible company in the sense of how many people have come out of that and they become entrepreneurs. Um, I've been lucky to have I've had Neil and Dave here on the show. I've had Jeff Rader and, and Andy from uh, from Harry's, which is you know obviously the big razor company that's not spun out of Warby, but no same same group. Did your experience at at Warby for you and Steph help lead to this? Is there some sort of thing that they do mindset that's kind of creating these interesting people coming off starting companies in the consumer space? I think the things that we do are different, but you know, so for example, our val our core values are different, but the importance of core values in our organization mm-hmm. is the same. Or um, the way we approach being very customer centric and customer obsessed is different in execution, but the fact that that's like so strongly in our DNA is is we definitely got that from Warby. It's funny because there's so many direct to consumer brands right now, right? So many. So you think like, okay, there's a direct to consumer playbook, and and to be honest, I think that's what um, you know when we were raising our seed round years ago. That's what got a lot of investors excited. They were like, okay, well, these two worked at Warby Parker, so they must know the Warby Parker playbook, so that gives them like a better chance of succeeding. Yeah. But you realize when you start building your own company that you know the playbook, but that wasn't what was valuable to us. It was that we knew the context behind every single one of those decisions and what the alternatives were and like what the considerations were and and then changed those decisions to make sense for the for the company that we were building. So it wasn't just like, here's the playbook. It was like, well, Warby did this, but we know that our inputs are a little bit different, so we're going to make a slightly different decision. And even if I think of all of the the companies that are launching literally every single day. Like there's a direct-to-consumer everything. Yeah. You got Instagram, all this direct-to-consumer, yeah. you, you name it. Instagram is like um, direct-to-consumer 
QVC, right? Yes. <laughs> so, um, but, and you and you see things that they've like plucked from from different DTC companies. Yeah. But I, I think it's like pretty easy to see when when they don't realize what that decision actually means. Like I think some people are like, oh, direct to consumer. That means like you're never going to wholesale. But it's like, but do you know why? Like, do you know why you're never going to wholesale? Is it just because of the margins, or is it because you truly believe that? that customer relationship is what gives you competitive advantage, you know? So I think there's there's so much like deep thinking behind every single one of those decisions and a lot of people just take it at face value. For someone who wants to start a new consumer company, what is like, what advice would you give them? Does the world really need it? And I think for some things, the answer will be yes. And, and for some things, the answer will be no. I, um, I spend a lot of time talking to people who are like looking for investment or looking for mentorship or or just looking for advice. And I think it's very evident when someone just kind of goes to a whiteboard and is like, here's a list of all the industries and here's like the company I can create yeah. within this, this landscape versus um, if you think about the companies that have proven to be successful so far, it's like the founders are really passionate about what they were doing. There was like a real story there. Like Steph and I and the team that we have built, like we're obsessed with travel and we have a big vision for how we can change that. You know, Emily Weiss from Glossier, like she really cares about about beauty and how that how that shapes someone. Mm-hmm. And 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 there's like, you know, the Warby guys were really obsessed with with like disrupting this monopoly that existed in that industry and all the things that came with that. I think some people, I'm like, why are you starting your company? And they're like, oh, well, there just isn't a direct-to-consumer company in this space. And they have no idea about the economics of that space or how or how people purchase in that space. And, and they just think they can apply the playbook to it. And I think that's when it's obvious that it might not last that long. Yeah, I get the sense that you guys are selling travel more than you're selling bags. Well, yeah, it's way more fun. <laughs> What kind of are you? Do you have any interesting experiments you're trying out in terms of retail? I know you've you have a few standalone shops. You have the pop up hotel. Are there any other things? Are you, do you expand more brick and mortar? Are you trying new kind of new things? Yeah. So to be completely candid, um, we've had a wild ride with retail. When we started the company, we were like, we don't think we need retail. Like we can really invest into making this like amazing online experience. And then we did a pop up just to to see what it would do for like our brand or community not to sell suitcases but like we sold suitcases in the store but we were, like we built all of this other stuff around it and that pop-up like totally proved us wrong and and we were we were totally willing to be proven wrong yeah but what was proven wrong the fact we thought that people didn't need to see our product in person i think the um the journey of retail for us has was that in the beginning we were like Brick and mortar is just going to be like a great brand experiment and great for marketing, but not really for retail sales. Like that was our hypothesis and we were totally proven wrong. Mm -hmm. It was like great on all fronts there. And so we we went from having super conceptual retail spaces to just trying to keep up with the demand. Like all of our stores are, are like four wall profitable. The sales per square foot is like super high, like way above like retail standards. And actually... Last year, we probably focused too much on the end of the spectrum where like we we were building stores in like a super structured, mm-hmm. super scalable way. And what we're trying to do as we roll out more stores is how do we find that balance of having like an exciting travel retail concept, but also knowing that like tons of people just go to the store just to buy the bag. Yeah. 
we have so many customers that are like in and out in two minutes because they've done the research online, they've done all the competitive shopping, and they're just like coming in to get their bags. Same so day. Grab it. Can I ask you an industry question? Yeah. You know, you go to the airport and they have like a store that just sells suitcases. Mm-hmm. Do people actually buy suitcases at the airport? So from, <laughs> <laughs> that so was, from I've never seen anyone in those stores ever. Well, it's funny because I thought the same thing. Sometimes my gut is wrong. And um, apparently for some luggage brands, some of their airport stores are, are some of their highest performing. So we're digging into that a little bit. And I think our approach to airport retail and, and what a way an airport looks like is going to be a mix of providing whatever function or utility that that group of people needs, but also injecting like, how can we make the airport experience better? And balancing those two. What do people do? They buy, they, they bring an empty suitcase with them when they buy the new suitcase, so they trade out suitcases. What's like the standard? I'm just always confused by this. That's that's exactly what we're digging into right now. So we, um, fortunately, our um, user base for for focus groups has expanded from just like mine, Steph's friends, to um, like tens of thousands of people who who want to tell us this information, and we're digging into. Would you do it like pre-security, post-security? Why are you doing it? Yes. Like, what are you doing with your bag? Do you want it shipped? Like, is it for people who pack too much and then they need to check it? Like, it's funny because the company has now grown to the point where like, we can't just make decisions based on like what one person thinks. Because if you ask me, I'm like, no, people, people don't need that. Yeah. But like the data will show something else. So there's a lot of like digging and, and figuring out people's habits right now. It's fascinating. Yeah. Pretty crazy. By the way, when you do find out that question, I'm dying to know. Yeah, I'll give you the exclusive on that. I want that answer. <laughs> I want to thank Jen Rubio again, the co-founder of Away. Next time you're in, air, you're in an airport, watch out. She might be trying to peel the sticker off your bags. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Forbes interview. I'm Stephen Bertoni. Please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'll see you next week.